Acts chapter 26, you'll keep in mind that Paul is now before the kings. When he first got saved, the Lord said, I've set you for a chosen vessel to tell the kings and Caesar about Jesus. And when people tried to prevent him going to Jerusalem because they knew he would be arrested, he said, none of these things move me, I'm going. God has promised me that I would be able to speak to the Caesars. On the ship going across the Mediterranean and the, area, the, uh, 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 the seas there going over to Italy, he, uh, the ship was shipwrecked and everybody was scared to death. And God put on the heart of the captain of the ship to spare Paul because many of the crewmen said, let's throw all the prisoners overboard lest they escape and we, we get in trouble because they've escaped. But the captain said, no, I'm not going to do that. God put that on his heart. He was a pagan captain. But Paul said, I'm not afraid. They had fasted and fasted for several days. And finally, Paul stood up in the midst of, you've been doing without any food. Let's eat. God has revealed to me that not any one of us will die in this shipwreck if you'll stay together and do what I tell you to do. So anyway, they landed and, and he is before uh, Agrippa and Festus and Felix. And a remarkable, remarkable thing. He tells about what God called him to do. Beginning in verse 15, he says, I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The theme today, without a vision, the people perish. This is found in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. There are many things in the Bible that speak about visions. Paul had a vision in the night in Acts 16. <clears throat> he wanted to go east and take the gospel to uh, Bithynia, across the Black Sea into Russia, over into China, and so on. But God said, no, they're not ready for it. You go west. He went to Troas, and in Troas, in the night, he had another vision. And in that vision, he saw some men from ever over at Macedonia and say, come over into Macedonia and help us. And the next morning, Paul said, this was God speaking to us. And they immediately crossed the Adriatic Sea, went over and founded the gospel beachhead at Philippi, first time on European soil. And all of us who are of European background owe our spiritual lineage to that trip Paul made across the sea and founded the gospel in Philippi, first church on European soil. And then that gospel spread out to the uttermost parts of the world. And Paul said, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. God gave me an assignment, 
And I did it. Now this dates back to what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. He was appointed to go kill Christians everywhere. You read the third chapter of Philippians and you read what he did. He thought he was doing God a favor by putting to death those who believed in the way or Jesus, believed in Jesus. And so he was going to Damascus to put to death the Christians over there. Before he went, he heard a young man named Stephen, one of the early deacons, give a testimony on the street corner and he was talking about the resurrection of Christ. Paul didn't believe that. His name was Saul at that time. But while Stephen was dying from the stoning, he said, I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. I see Jesus. I see Jesus in the present tense, not past tense. He said, I see him there. That made an eternal impression on Paul. And on the way to Damascus, a few days later, he heard over and over in his mind's heart, I see Jesus, I see Jesus, I see Jesus. And 10 miles outside the ancient city of Damascus, a light shone down and Saul of Tarsus had a vision. Jesus said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, sir? And the answer was, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You see, Saul's life was filled with visions. Now, a vision in the scripture is not just extrasensory perception. It is not a quick discernment. A vision is a revelation. A revelation. Mrs. Bertha Claycomb is in heaven now. This past week, she observed a birthday. Maybe her first year in heaven but her 94th year on earth. And she used to tell about a vision she had of heaven. She had a very serious illness and a cancer on her face. And as they wheeled her into the surgery room, she said, God spoke to me. And there was quiet peace. And she said, I looked out and saw the streets of heaven. And I saw the Lord standing waiting for me. And then he said, birth, it's not time yet. I'm going to leave you there a little longer. Visions are very, very important. Without a vision, the people perish. I believe that was a revelation because what she said came to pass. And she came back and blessed our church for 10 years in her ministry here. Now, if we're going to think about the visions that God wants to give us, remember they're revelations. They're not just extrasensory perceptions. They're not just somebody more discerning than somebody else. They're a revelation to our hearts. I think when any of us looks back and thinks about his own conversion, his own salvation, if he thinks about it long enough, he'll recognize that somehow God gave you a revelation in your heart that you were lost and needed Christ. The natural man doesn't pay any attention to that. If you're here today and you're not saved, you probably don't know the despicable condition you're in. But God can give you a vision of it. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. He's not just talking about physical death. The rich man in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham afar off and he said, send Lazarus and may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Saying what? that hell is an awful place. 
And my friend, if you are on your way to hell today, the vision that God could give you right now is the awful terribleness of hell. Not because you have a discernment about it. Not because somebody's telling you about it. You can be told about it from now till death. But when that vision comes into your heart and you realize that's me, that's me, I, I'm the one that's on the way there. That bothers me. I think I went to church all my life from time to time. There was a time I went to a Methodist church and I went to a mourner's bench in that mourner's Methodist church, but I had no vision. I had no real, real understanding of my need of Christ. But then at my grandmother's funeral, the preacher talked about her being in heaven. And all of a sudden I could sort of visualize heaven and I wouldn't be there. And God talked to my heart. I was not guilty of some of the big sins that people commit later in life, but I was a sinner. On a train to Florida, a Jewish lady asked me if I were a Christian. I had to say no. I began to go to church because the pastor came and invited me. And at first, I cut up like a lot of kids do, but he had an unusual thing. I'd hide behind the balcony. It was, it was against his law for kids to sit in the balcony. I heard a kid one day tell him, Dr. Gibson, you don't own this church. Uh, why, do you, why do you tell me where to sit? He said, as long as I'm pastor, I'll tell you where to sit. <laughs> I was hiding down there, cutting up. He motioned to an usher, an usher came down and uh, touched my shoulder. He said, the pastor wants you to come and sit on the front row. Well, that embarrassed me, but I never did it anymore. Never did it anymore. And when I got down there and began to hear the preacher, there came a vision in my heart of how lost I was and how much I needed something I didn't have. And friend, when you contemplate what's happened to you, if you've been saved, you've been saved from sin. You've been saved from self. You've been saved from hell. You've been saved unto heaven. You've been saved. godly walk, walk with the Lord. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That vision of where we were, what we were, our past, terribleness of it. You're here today. Look into your heart. Where are you spiritually? Are you near the heart of God? Or are you disinterested and wondering when this meeting will get over so you can go eat some roast beef and mashed potatoes? What's God trying to say to us today? Without a vision, the people perish. Without a revelation, the people perish. We need a vision of our past, of our situation in the past. We need a vision of forgiveness, a vision of the future, a vision of the foreverness of our eternal destiny. Now, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, and follow the vision. We not only need a vision of ourself and our past, but we need a vision of the future. God has given Glendale Baptist Church a glorious past. Amen. I was thinking a little while ago when the choir sang the church without spot or wrinkle. All the things we have to be thankful for. Amen. I think of Sam Todd, a deacon at First Baptist Church in Eastwood. And he came into this area, took a census and said, 
probably need a church over here in this area. He collected some people around him and the church was born in the summer of 1955. I think of Joe Tao, our first Sunday school superintendent, Arthur Treadway, our first training director. I think of many of the old men of God that were here in those early days. I think of Geraldine Smith. She's at the point of death now over at Medical Center, but she's been here since the days we met in a house. I think of Lee Kennedy and Lucy and all the blessing through the years, those faithful, faithful people have been Sunday after Sunday, winter and spring and summer and and fall all through the years. And there, we need to think of that and thank God for that. We need to thank God for Robert Nelson. Robert Nelson was chairman of our building committee when we built this auditorium, beautiful auditorium. And thank the Lord for him. Look back with vision, thank God. But then we need to look forward. The early people in our church had a vision of what could happen as Glendale Baptist Church took the commission of the Lord seriously. And so you know what's happened? E.L. Holmes was one of our early deacons. I remember meeting in a deacon's meeting over in the room over here in the old building. And he said, I want us to pray about something. He said, let's pray that God will raise up some missionaries from our church and we can help support them. Now you imagine the vision of that? Our church had never had anybody surrender to preach. We'd never had any missionary go out. God put it on his heart to say that. Within a year, we had our first young man surrender to preach. And then another, and then another, and then another. And today, there are over 200 young people who have sat where we sit, who are out preaching the word and serving as missionaries around the world. And we thank God for that. Looking back, thank God. But we need to look at the present. Do we have a vision of what God wants us to do next? Some years ago, we had never gone on a mission trip. And we met a missionary named Calvin Nampkin. And Brother Calvin invited us to come down to Texas and the Rio Grande Valley and uh, do some mission work. So that first summer they went down there and uh, What a time they had. The first meeting, there was a woman filled with a devil. And she got up and began to speak in tongues, scared everybody out. They climbed out the windows and everything. And look, we thought the meeting was over. But you know, God intervened and uh, worked in it. And God blessed. God blessed in a wonderful way. Now, when I said that she was filled with the devil, that was really true. She was demon-possessed. I'm not saying everybody speaks in tongues. is like that. But that woman was. And it scared our people. And if they could give testimonies today, they'd tell you about it. Well, every year since then, for, for nearly 30 years, our people have been going down on the Texas border and into Mexico, sometimes way deep in the heart of Mexico, and winning people to Christ. The vision God has given this church. There came a time... <clears throat> when we were trying to reach college students. And uh, God blessed. Uh, when we first built this building, most of the students at Western that, that went anywhere to church came here. And <coughs> we needed a bus. I remember in a meeting one night, somebody said, well, I'll give $500 for a bus. And we bought a whole, a whole uh, group, what do you call them? A whole, uh, yeah, of, of 10 buses. Old clunkers. They'd break down on every trip. 
Those poor bus drivers would drive halfway down the street and the bus would break down. And they'd patch it up a little bit and go on. And we'd reach college students with that old bus. It was called the Blue Goose. And uh, lots of people came on that old Blue Goose. We were accused sometimes of going down the street and seeing some student walk along, go out and collar him, get him on the bus. That might have happened. They might have come with that kind of persuasion, but many of them got saved that way. Thank the Lord. And then we wanted to enlarge the bus ministry. And the guys had put up with those <clears throat> old blue gooses and old golden chariots that break down every few minutes. Uh, they put up with it over and over and over again. So they began to pray. We had a prayer meeting every Wednesday night after church in the office. And they began to pray for new buses. And then we invited the deacons to come to those meetings. And some of the bus pastors were already deacons. And they attended. And one deacon said to me, I never heard such a prayer in my life. They want us to buy new buses, brand new. You know what the church did? Borrowed $80,000 and bought those 10 red, red, white, and blue buses. And the glory years of our church, when they would bring them in, sometimes we'd have 500, sometimes 700. I remember one Sunday school teacher resigning. She said, I did not expect to have all these kids in my class. I can't take care of it. We had to get a substitute. We had to get somebody else to take care of it. A vision, a vision of reaching Bowling Green for Christ, of reaching to the regions beyond. Without a vision, the people perish. Now we're at a crossroads. In 1999, this is the last time on Sunday morning in October we'll meet in this century. In just another month or two, we'll be in the next century. When I was a little younger, I didn't think I'd live to the, to the year 2000. It looks like we're going to unless something happens between now and then. But you see, we need a vision for the next century. We need a vision of reaching people, precious people. Oh, the terrible tragedy if they go through our fingers and we don't reach them. We don't deepen them in the Word of God. I, I try to spend as much time as possible with young people. I love them. I've learned so much from young people. That doesn't mean I haven't learned anybody from anything from older people, because I have. I do my best to visit the nursing homes and the shut-ins and all that, but I want to spend some time with young people. Why? Because the young people today are leaders. They're not just going to be leaders later, they're already leaders. And you instill yourself, you pour yourself into them, no telling what God can do in the years ahead. I think of Barnabas, the associate of the Apostle Paul. He had a nephew named John Mark. And John Mark got homesick and turned and went home from their mission duty. And the next time they were going out on a mission journey, Barnabas said, I'm going to take John Mark. And Paul said, no, he's a quitter. You can't take him. And the contention was so sharp that Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and went down to Cyprus. We never read anything else about Barnabas. But when Paul was about to die in Rome, he wrote a letter to Timothy and he said, Timothy, bring Mark. He is profitable to me for the ministry. That was the Mark that wrote the second gospel, the gospel according to Mark. I want to tell you, get a vision of pouring your life into somebody else. 
That's what these bus pastors have done. They pour themselves into the lives of these kids that they bring and young people they bring. And we have folks that go over to the college and visit and encourage people to come. They're pouring their lives into them. And when you get your life straight, pour your life into somebody else. Our adults have done that for years. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for all who have been such a blessing to me. When I came here, first time I preached here, I was 26 years old, 25 or 26. And uh, I thank God for some godly men that surrounded me. Amen. Joe Tao would say every Monday, I'll go visiting with you today. And we went and visited the hospitals. He introduced me to all the shut-ins. And then Brother Lee would go with me and others would go and we'd go knock on doors. And every Sunday, Saturday night, Joe would call me and he'd say, now, do you have anybody lined up to join the church tomorrow? <laughs> you see, their concern was this. We need a vision of what could happen in the years ahead. We have built all we can build on this property. They tell us that if we were to build more, and I wish we could, we would have to buy all those houses out to Small Astro, cost over a million dollars, and then tear them down to build. The committee studied for 20 years about this matter and determined that we needed another location. And so a lot was purchased, 16 acres out on Cave Mill Road. And that's where we stand, that, lot, that property is paid for. We need a vision of what could happen. Maybe some of the church here, some of the church there. I don't know how it'll work out. But however God leads, we want to do it. But can you imagine that church out there on that cave mill road with a sign out there, Jesus saves. Amen. And everybody that drives by, well, they, Jesus saves. Reaching our city for Christ, claiming our city for Christ. You imagine that. Listen, it's worth our giving, our investments. It's worth our money on the altar for God. When you give, like Brother Chris said a while ago, you don't give to the church, you give to Jesus. And it's part of the revelation God gives you. It's a vision of what God wants to do in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. If we're going to get it done, we have to sacrifice. And part of that vision is a vision of sacrificial giving, sacrificial loving, sacrificial going, sacrificial serving. It isn't easy to get up early on Saturday morning, the only morning you have to sleep in and go out and knock on doors all over the city. It isn't easy to be faithful at teaching a Sunday school class for years and years and years. It isn't easy to be a choir director and come to have choir practice and half the choir not even there. That isn't easy. But remember, God didn't call us to a rosy bed of ease. He said there'll be blood, sweat, and tears during the awful days of World War II, when it looked like England would be bombed off the map, Hitler had his eye on London. He wanted to subdue England. Then he thought if we have all the continent and England, it won't be very long till we can have America. Churchill went out to the front of the battle, endangering himself, and he stood there like a statue. And he said, there may be terror and tyranny. We may fight in the streets. We'll fight in the back alleys. But he said, there will be blood, sweat, and tears, but there'll be victory. Amen. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what I want to say to us today. 
The vision for the future is as bright as the promises of God. And God said to go. He didn't cancel that. He said to go. Go in Jesus' name. And God will guide and bless as we do it. Now, in order for any of this to become a reality, we have to, again, return to the vision of ourself. Where do I fit in? Well, first of all, if I'm not saved, there isn't any place to fit in. The very first ingredient in a Christian life is personal salvation. And I want to ask you, have you been saved? Have you experienced the touch of God in your life? Has God ever spoken to you? Have you ever realized how wicked you were, even as a little boy or a little girl? You say, well, I'm not wicked. Well, you're not convicted. When I was under conviction, I thought I was wicked. Folks, when Jesus begins to deal with us, when we see Jesus compared to us, I know that I need something I didn't have. And I asked Jesus to come in, and he did. And folks, he honored me by calling me to preach. I'll never understand why. I'm the least of the the preachers of the world. I I wondered, I just stood in awe as Brother David preached the other day and gave all those wonderful scriptures and, and led us in preaching the word. And I thought, Lord, I wish I could preach like that. That's great preaching. Listen, God does not always call the most gifted people. He calls the willing people. He calls somebody that says, here am I, Lord, use me. Could you let the Lord use you today? It begins by salvation. Asking the Lord to cleanse you from sin. Asking Him to save you. Taking a stand for Him. Follow Him in baptism. Reporting for duty. Here am I, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God will bless. Without a vision, the people perish. May we pray. Our Father, we thank You for the vision that Paul had and he was not disobedient to it. We pray that I will give our church and individuals here a vision of what it means to really know Christ and to serve Him and live for Him. Oh God, give us the vision of sacrificial living, sacrificial serving, sacrificial giving. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Without Him, I could do nothing. Four, what page is it? 176. 176. Without Him, I could do nothing. Now, folks, without Jesus, we can't do a thing. You may sit there and say, well, I, I, what have I got to give? I'm nothing. You give Him yourself, and He'll start using you. I wonder if there's somebody today who would come and say, I've never been saved, but I want to give my heart to Christ. I need Jesus. Or maybe somebody else who will say, I have been saved, and I need to be baptized. I need to go on with God. I want to serve the Lord. Maybe somebody else would say, God may need me as a missionary or a preacher or a servant in some special way. I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it. Maybe you're here and your membership is in another church and God is leading you to come to Glendale. Will you do it today? As we begin to sing, will you come?